Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. In this episode of Writing Matters, we speak with Megan Wise. Megan is a former 6th to 8th grade ELA teacher and is currently serving as the Blended Learning Coordinator for the Archdiocese of New York. She talks passionately about the ways in which teachers can use technology to support learning goals, specifically goals around writing. Welcome to Writing Matters. Today we are speaking with Megan Weiss, who is taught in many school contexts, uh, multiple grade levels and multiple schools, and has always had an intentional focus on literacy and technology. She currently serves as the Blending Learning Coordinator for the Archdiocese of New York City. Welcome, Megan. Hi, I'm really happy and excited to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have an opportunity to talk with you. I know we got to meet at ISTE this last summer and uh, get to know one another a little bit um, as a part of a, a writable uh, mixer. But uh, even after that conversation, I was very intrigued to, to hear and think about what you're doing with blended learning. So we'll talk a little bit about your website and the videos you're producing for your teachers. But before we do all that, tell us a bit more about yourself. What is your path in education and how have you gotten to be where you are at today? Okay, so um, as you mentioned, I've taught in a variety of different locations and types of schools. I've, I've also taught in two different states. I've taught in New York State as well as in Virginia. So I've moved around a little bit. I got my start as a New York City teaching fellow um, about 11 years ago and was a sixth grade ELA teacher. And luckily for me, middle school was my jam. And so I hung out with middle schoolers for like the next 10 years in various different places. Um, I taught in my first Catholic school back home in Buffalo, New York, and um, really loved that experience and eventually became an assistant principal at a different Catholic school up there. And it was actually when presenting at the RISE Conference, which is the Religious and Independent School Educators Conference, that I actually had the opportunity to meet uh, my supervisor now who is the associate um, superintendent for curriculum and professional development, Dr. Susan Miller. So um, she told me about the initiative here in the Archdiocese of New York with blended learning. And I was really excited at the opportunity to interview and be a part of this uh, great project. It, I service, you know, almost 140 different schools, um, anywhere from Staten Island all the way up to Rockland. And so it's a really great experience to get to work with so many different educators and their students in really honing their ed tech practice. Fantastic. And I'm really curious to know, uh, as you would define it right now, if you had to get the Twitter size bite to uh, describe blended learning, mm. what would you say? You can use the new Twitter with 280 characters. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, because I was going to say, I made a very extensive, like, 10-minute-long video defining blended learning, so now I have to... Um, I would say that blended learning really is when you take the expertise of the teacher and that face-to-face -face instruction, plus um, personalized learning technology tools 
to both fill the gaps and extend the learning for all students. Mm -hmm. I like that you got a little both and there because I think often we hear about like personalized learning and analytics and all this and we're going to customize learning but then we don't also see students doing a lot of creation. They're just yes. consuming the content but not necessarily creating and doing digital writing and creative opportunities to use the tools in new ways. And I think you can't underestimate the fact that, you know, I'm a big fan of technology, obviously, and ed tech tools can do amazing things, but the tool is only as good as the person who is wielding it. You have mm -hmm. to have that teacher part first, because just a room full of people on computers, not interacting with each other, that's, that's not blended learning. Exactly, exactly. Well, so let's talk a little bit more about teaching and learning and specifically about the teaching of writing. And maybe we can blend a little tech talk in there as well. But um, one of the things we're trying to uh, learn from all our guests this season is a tried and true writing lesson or a strategy or a skill, something that you've tried with students that has generally engaged them and, and helped them become more successful in their writing. So what is it that you would like to share that's worked well for you and your students um, as it relates to improving their writing skills? Well, I would say that um, across all the different schools I've been at, there has always been some sort of memoir writing assignment component that is somewhere in the curriculum. It tends to be towards the beginning of the school year. It's a great way to get the students not only writing, but writing about something they already know about, which is themselves. Um, I find that that's a great opportunity to really um, take that assignment and make it unique to the students in front of you. I've had years where I was teaching 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, and all three grades had that same assignment. So obviously, by the time they're in 8th grade, they don't want to write, oh, another memoir piece. So mm -hmm. there's fun ways to, to tweak it. Um, one grade level did... Um, their memoir, but their life as if they were a superhero. So a day in the life. Um, eighth graders did a really interesting memoir piece where they had to focus on a small moment in their life that related to one of the um, eight uh, social identifiers. So really thinking about who they are and their identity and what was a moment that really connected to them in that sense. I think that's sort of the beauty of writing is that it can be so personal and it can be such a way to learn about yourself through the writing as well. And my experience with middle schoolers is they love nothing more than being able to talk about themselves. So, <laughs> so it's, I, I've never met a middle schooler like that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but so I think that's really fun. And then I feel like I always would start the school year with memoir but by the end of the school year, really tackle research because mm -hmm. that's always something we really want the kids to get better at, right? Sure, sure. And a funny thing that uh, I started doing was I noticed that I had, especially my sixth graders who really struggled with the idea of what does it mean when I tell you to cite a source or to use quotations. Um, so we came up with our own terminology for quotation marks. We called them our magical citation cranes. 
And so what that means is, is it goes into the text, it takes out the information you need and puts it into your essay. And I got to crack up when I imagined that I still watched my students years later as eighth graders sitting there during a state test going like this to themselves. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever works. <laughs> That's funny. So no, you're not sarcastically creating air quotes. You are digging into that text with your citation crane and pulling out a chunk for someone to put into your essay. That's yes, cool. yes. Yeah, definitely memorable. Definitely memorable. Well, that's good. So, um, you know, as you look back and you reflect on your time as a teacher of writing and currently in your role supporting other teachers through professional learning, uh, what do you see as kind of the burning issue right now? What, what is it that uh, is sparking your own curiosity and really on the forefront of uh, your mind as you think about what it means to be a teacher of writing in today's world? Well, this is a perfect question because we have been talking about that a lot here at the Archdiocese. And uh, starting last year and actually going into this year, I have been doing some training specifically for our teachers entitled Using Digital Tools to Enhance the Writing Process. So I think a big thing we're tackling, especially as we roll out more of this blended learning initiative, is how do we reconcile the traditional aspects of the writing process that we've known forever about brainstorming and then writing out your rough draft by hand before you correct it, before you type it up? How do we reconcile that with all these new tools that we have digitally that can enhance the experience for students? And actually, I think, level the playing field for students who struggle. Indeed. So, um, yeah, so, so I've done a, lot, done a lot in trying to get our teachers to, to look at, you know, what are the different ed tech tools that exist that can make it so that all our students have equal access to the ability to go through the writing process at their own speed. Right. And as you think about that variety of tools and the stages of the writing process, are there any particular tools right now that you're finding some success with that teachers seem to be um, interested in using and that students are then creating and generating interesting pieces of writing or different types of digital writing? So are, is there a tool or two that's really standing out for you? Well, I will say that when it comes to helping students move through the idea of revision, um, a lot of our teachers who utilize Google Classroom as a platform are using the extensions of Gubric and Doctopus. And that's something that I have shown uh, them in a lot of trainings on how this can not only ensure that you, the teacher, are giving more valuable feedback to the students, but then allows the students to then take that feedback, make revisions, and continue that loop. Because I think that's something that, you know, if you're a teacher, especially in one of our schools, where you're one teacher for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade ELA, and you've got all your students doing writing assignments, and you're trying to keep up with this idea of, I want to make sure I give them feedback. I want to make sure I help them grow as writers. Also, when they're doing peer review, trying to get the students used to the idea of something as simple as the suggesting mode version of Google Docs, where they can go in and make suggestions to each other without actually um, changing the other person's work. 
they have to go through those suggestions and either approve them or reject them. So something that simple, it takes the same concept of peer review that we've done long before we had this technology, but now it allows them to do it not, e not even just when they're sitting next to each other in class. They can do this from different places and the teacher can watch and see the suggestions that each other have made and go back. And I think it, it just really allows for um, more transparency across the board. Right. Well, and even in that moment, having them be metacognitive to say, okay, what is it really that my classmate is suggesting here? And then maybe reflecting on that, not all 100 suggestions in their essay, but at least a few of them and say, why did I make this particular choice? Or why did I reject that suggestion? I think mm -hmm. that sometimes helping writers see that they, they have that agency is pretty important. I often, um, when I would start that with my sixth graders, before I allowed them to do it on each other's work, I would go through and use suggesting mode on each one of their drafts. And then as a separate assignment, they had to tell me why I had made each suggestion I had made so that they could correctly identify like, oh, you suggested I change this word because my word choice here wasn't as sophisticated. Or you suggested that I change my sentence here because it was a run-on sentence, something like that. Right, interesting. And so do you also have them composing some other multimodal types of text, perhaps using tools like Adobe Spark or anything along those lines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that here at the Archdiocese that we have really been pushing the envelope in what, you know, we can do with the technology. Um, we're primarily Chromebook based in most of our schools, um, but we have teachers that are using all sorts of different ways for students to get writing into the everyday. So even if it's not just an essay assignment, even if it's something like, um, typing up their notes that they need for an actual presentation and knowing which words make it onto their slide versus which is just in the notes that they say out loud and, um, you know, blogging with each other and giving each other feedback. So we're really trying to focus on how do we make sure that we are writing in multiple different modalities and writing every day. That's great. Well, certainly that's important too, as they consider different audiences and purposes and the ways that sometimes you're using writing as a tool for reflection and just some self-analysis. And then other times you are trying to process and, and use it as a writing to learn skill. And then even other times you're trying to project to a larger audience. So that's great to hear. Are there any quick little uh, examples you might give of some of these different disciplinary uses of writing that you're finding pretty intriguing? Well, um, I would say that I was really impressed with a social studies teacher that I was observing who was actually, because first of all, I love to stress the fact that obviously writing is not restricted to just the ELA classroom, of course. Um, but this uh, particular teacher had the students building their own websites. Um, and so in the website, they had to have obviously a balance between images and video, as well as, you know, captions and descriptions, timelines. And so they were um, trying to 
create websites that would reflect a specific time period that they had studied. So the idea was that it would be interactive, that they could click on different parts and have it take them to different descriptions and different photos. And it was really quite exciting to see. And it sounds like they were probably using some primary sources that they were able to gather from doing some more substantive internet searching rather than just a quick image search, but having to maybe look at some archival websites, yes. maybe like Library of Congress or something like that. That's yeah, I really believe cool. the I believe the idea came out of them doing a web quest initially and then basically being able to design their own website that someone else could go through and use as a learning experience. So Oh, well, that sounds great. Well, that's good that you have this kind of dual focus where you're inviting teachers to reconceptualize their teaching through the Splendid Learning Initiative, but then also to reconceptualize writing and what it means to be a writer in contemporary times and, and to use the Chromebooks to their maximum advantage, having students compose and create in so many different ways. So, mm -hmm. well, great. So another question that we're really trying to zoom in on and, and get uh, some tips and strategies and resources uh, from our guests um, comes in this form of what's your go-to right now? What is it that you're finding to be most useful, whether it's a website, a blog, a Twitter feed, a professional book? Um, and I know it's always hard to narrow things down. So maybe you have a couple. But um, what would you say is really uh, influencing you right now and, and helping you with your thinking as you're leading professional development in writing and technology for other teachers? So I definitely have a couple. I mean, I have books everywhere. But um, I would say that the two major books that I've referenced a lot in our professional development here at the Archdiocese would be Learning First, Technology Second, Liz Kolb. Um, this is really excellent for my specific job because I really want the teachers to understand that we are not proponents of technology just for the sake of technology, that we really want students to be utilizing tech tools to enhance their learning, to extend what they were able to do without the technology, and to really boost that engagement. So that's really important. And especially in the writing process, there's so many, like we said, different tools that make it so that students can have um, more equity of access. You know, things like talk to text features or even having text read to them when they're doing their research. So just really focusing on, you know, the fact that if you're going to use a technology tool, stop and ask yourself, well, why am I using this? Like, is this actually better than the low-tech version that I could have done before? And I think another person who sort of echoes those same ideas is Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. Um, you know, right on the cover of her book, it says technology is not a solution, it is an opportunity. And I very much used that in my own video about what blended learning is, because I really, again, just want to stress the fact that technology is a tool and something that we can use, um, but we have, to, we have to know the content and we have to focus on the learning for our students. So yes, I would suggest both of those resources. Yes, definitely. I would, I would echo those, um, and especially Liz Cole being a fellow educator in the state of Michigan and uh, 
someone that has been deeply involved with ISTE for a long time, I know that uh, that Triple E framework is super helpful, one that I'm teaching my own grad and undergrad student. So glad to know that we're on the same page there. And of course, Casey's work and the resources that she makes available for educators are tremendous too. So, so as you think about that idea of putting the, the learning first and the technology second, and again, specifically with the teaching of writing, can you talk about maybe one recent professional learning experience you've designed or maybe even a chat that you've had with a teacher uh, in a coaching context or, you know, after a PD session or something like that? How does that manifest? Like what is one thing to say learning first, technology second, but it's another thing to do that. So I'm wondering if you have a real specific example of what that looks like, especially with the teaching of writing. Yeah. So. Um... I would say that there's been some concern, especially with the, um, you know, the push for CBT, you know, computer-based testing, Mm -hmm. that there has been some concerns from some of our teachers on making sure that we understand how to utilize the tech tool aspect when we are doing that ELA state test and we're writing, we're highlighting, we're doing all these things that we know how to do on paper, but we need to make sure we know how to do on the computer. And uh, so I was talking to them about how, you know, this doesn't change what we're asking students to do by any means. Um, for example, there's, there's a, a Google extension uh, for Kami, which um, allows you to, you know, annotate on a PDF. And so I said, listen, if you're concerned about the students needing practice with those tools, what would not be a good use of time would be to just go and just use that like Quest Star practice the tools. I mean, yes, you have to do that, but wouldn't it be much better to take something you're reading anyway and practice that skill of annotating and then responding to the text and use the Kami extension to do so? Because now we're still focusing on the learning that needs to happen, but we're still practicing those tech tools. And um, yeah, so, and, and then of course, too, also talking about we want students to get more comfortable with the idea of composing their ideas on the keyboard as they go to prepare them for testing. And I said, okay, well, that doesn't mean you have to do that all the time, but on a once a week maybe basis, maybe you have them instead of doing that quick response exit ticket in their journal or that daily writing prompt, maybe switch it to a Google Doc for a day and get them to do that same aspect of think and write simultaneously, but do it digitally instead. I think that raises some really interesting questions about what and how much we're teaching kids when it comes to like explicit keyboarding skills. And then when and why and how are you writing? Sometimes put your screen down and pull out a piece of paper, but other times Mm -hmm. pull the screen back up. And I think even more interesting now, as voice dictation gets so much better um, across mobile devices and even in browsers and through operating systems, when and how and why are we teaching kids to strategically use voice-to-text dictation as a way to capture their thinking? And maybe it's one thing to use voice-to-text when you're writing an email 
it might be something different when you're using voice to text to write a social media post and it's probably something even completely different to write a whole essay so when and why and how are we choosing to use voice dictation in those those strategic ways so yeah that raises a number of interesting issues and i think it comes back to asking what do we want the students to get out of it like i know for example you know the very sort of traditional way of looking at the writing process the way i remember it was you did your web, then you wrote out your sloppy copy, which gosh, boy, do I hate that term, but you wrote that out on paper and then you typed up the final copy and then you printed it out and you turned it in, right? But I have found that there are many students who really benefit from doing a lot of oral brainstorming before they even get to writing things down. I think if writing is a process, we need to honor the fact that it is a process that might look different to different people and that there are different stages beyond just picking up the pen and actually writing things down. There's a lot that happens, I think, up in here before we even get to the paper that you know, we really need to be explicit in how we teach students how to think about their writing. Exactly. Well, and, and knowing that writing comes in so many shapes and forms and for different purposes, as we were talking about earlier, helping kids see that you have lots of tools available. You have to think about when and why you're using them. So I completely agree. So as we come to a close here, one of the final questions that we've been asking our guests this season is to just think about the role of writing in your own life. And clearly you've written a lot uh, as an educator over the years and this probably as a language arts teacher written many comments back to students on their paper but <laughs> yes. you are also now producing professional development materials for other teachers and um, you know i'm sure that uh, you have various um, types of reports and documents and things that you're working on from a professional standpoint but then also trying to be creative in your lesson planning and the ways that you present new ideas so maybe you could talk for just a moment, what role does writing play in your life? How do you see yourself as a writer? I guess I'm very lucky in the fact that becoming an English teacher was really perfect because I was a little kid who loved stories, reading them and writing my own. I'm the kind of adult who still carries around like a diary and like writes in it and like keeps actual notes. Especially while traveling, that's a big thing for me is I love to write down about the experiences because you can go back and you can reread re it and really relive those moments that you capture. Um, and as much of a tech fiend that I am, I also still carry around an actual handwritten um, agenda as well because there's something about, you know, we know research shows there's a difference between the act of physically writing it down versus typing it. And I like to make sure I get a balance of both in my day every day. Um, yeah, I, I write down everything. I, if, if I don't write it down somewhere, it's not going to get remembered and it's not going to get done. So I would always tell my students that like writing is just a part of how I have to get through my life. So <laughs> it's how I document what's going on. It's how I make my plans. It's how I write about what I want, you know, making, making lists of goals. 
I mean, goal setting is such a, such a powerful writing task in itself, that act of like actually writing it down. And then once you get to it, checking it off and having that feeling of accomplishment, I think students can really sink their teeth into that too, that idea of, because I think when you put it down, when you actually write it down, you've given it a weight, you've given it like this, this purpose. And you've said, yes, I've written it down. I'm going to do this someday, you know, whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I appreciate how you say that, you know, writing is a part of getting through life and hopefully making it a little more enjoyable along the way. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Well, Megan, thanks so much for being a guest today and for all that you do in your profession for kids and for other educators. We've really appreciated having you. Well, thank you so much. This has been really fun and I am so excited to hear more future podcasts. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com.